This is Purple Elephant, where I bring the proverbial elephant to the table in order to deconstruct ableism, prejudice and misconceptions. On today's episode, we have Flora Baker. She's a freelance writer, traveller and an author of the Adult Orphan Club. It talks all about grief, losing both parents at a young age and how she coped. I think you're going to love this episode. First of all, I'm really sorry. And I really hope that however bad you're feeling, you've got to remember that it will change. And I know that sounds very annoying and you don't believe it, but it will. It does change. It doesn't necessarily go, but it changes shape so much that it does feel completely different. Welcome, Flora, to Purple Elephant. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I want to spill all your accolades and tell the world about you, but I find that it's quite nice to hear it from the person I'm chatting to. So do you want to introduce yourself and tell the world who you are, please? Of course. Uh, So I'm Flora Baker. Um, I run a travel blog called Flora the Explorer, Um, but I've been writing freelance about grief and mental health for quite a long time now, maybe about three years, three, four years. Um, My mum passed away in early 2009, um, just before I started travel writing. And then my dad passed away a couple of years ago Um, which was devastating, as you can imagine. Um, But it kind of precipitated a lot of grief writing, which I've now started to become a bit more known for, I think, um, to the extent that I just wrote and published a book, my first book, called The Adult Orphan Club, which is all about dealing with grief when you lose a parent, or both. It's pretty applicable to anyone who's gone through grief, really, but I think there's a very specific kind of grief when you lose both your parents, and Mm -hmm. I've tried to give that to people specifically I think it's kind of valuable so yeah that's me congratulations on the book first of all it's it's absolutely wonderful I I devoured it in a few hours I guess that's the the joys of being blind and a screen reader user it it talks quickly (laughs) but (laughs) I was I was so enamored by it I think it's because I I I love your writing style I I love who you are online and as you kind of said you've 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 become kind of known now for talking about grief and I feel as a as a person in general that if I was to face any of the traumas that you've gone through I feel like I'd have a solid friend over the internet even if we'd never met and we didn't know each other I think that's how captivating your writing is can I delve into how hard was it for you to write because losing a parent must be tough but losing two you know before the age of 30 really is is absolutely heartbreaking how how do you find the strength to write about it well that's a big question um i think it's not something that i would immediately suggest anybody does because i think a lot of people find grief a very difficult subject to even address for themselves let alone putting it down on paper let alone publicizing it mm-hmm. um but for me, I have always, I've always written since I was tiny. And weirdly, when my mum first, when I first knew she was definitely not okay, I didn't know she was dying at that point, but I, I knew she wasn't okay anymore. Um, and the first thing I did was start writing. And it wasn't something I was intending to be public. And what I actually wrote isn't, isn't public, but mm-hmm. I definitely started to realise very, very early on in the grief, in the grief journey for me that, writing was a cathartic process and it helped me process what was happening and in terms of writing the book 
initially it started because I wrote an article about losing your parents before 30. Mm-hmm. And that article has now become far and above the thing that I get the most traffic for on my site, hands down. Um, I get comments and messages pretty much every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's pretty illuminating to discover there's so many people who have lost people, who've lost parents online, who are looking for resource and seemingly can't find it because they've found my site as one of the first things they find. It's a difficult thing to start doing, but I think once I started doing it, it just spiraled and it became a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Um, that article that I wrote about my parents was about a year after Dad died. So when was it? End of 2018. Mm-hmm. And because I knew how well that had been received, I kind of realised that if I just expanded it a bit, I could get something quite a lot kind of meatier out of it I had so much more to say basically um so I started writing kind of expanded versions of that article and it ended up snowballing into (laughs) into a book but it's been it's been emotional definitely and I was quite scared knowing that I'd be editing it and and publicizing it during lockdown because I realized that doing all of that completely by myself like without having any break to you know go out to hang out with friends and stuff Mm -hmm. I was quite worried Firstly, I probably numbed myself a bit to the text in there because I've read it so many times and I've edited it so many times. I think I've just kind of, I've got used to the way that I grieve. Like I've understood it. I've investigated it a lot and I'm not quite as scared of it now as I used to be. Being able to actually face grief head on and then deep dive into that is something that we as humanity don't do. I know there's other cultures, so we're Western culture. And I know in other cultures, actually, they believe that life almost begins after death and that you, 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 you're kind of, you're on the planet for a small amount of time and, and the death is, is the beautiful part of life. But here in the Western culture, we do not express grief and we do not explain or really expand on how we feel therefore nine times out of ten you you lose someone or you are even given a diagnosis that could be something like terminal cancer and then people are like I'm really sorry the end Mm -hmm. we don't talk about it and we bury it away I think that's probably why I gravitated towards you and your grief writing even more over the last year or two or had grief through losing vision and and going through people again they don't talk about grief and I will never ever say that there's a parallel between my grief and yours but that just for someone to write about it so boldly and so beautifully it makes me feel heard and understood that it's okay to talk about these things and I feel like we don't talk about it enough what are your thoughts on that first off I would say that there definitely are parallels between our two types of grief I think it's it's very odd. I've been reading a lot of, um, as you might expect, a lot of other people's um, grief memoirs and stuff. And I've started to collect quite a few authors, mm-hmm. um, memoirists and, and life writers who are all fantastic and have all plumbed the depths of, of their own losses in order to, yeah, in order to widen the conversation and, and let people understand that it is something that's okay to talk about. I think grief is such a it's such a ridiculously huge part of life and yet as you said people don't really seem to talk about it but the thing is what I've started to realize is that people think they do Mm. people think they talk about grief because they've been saturated with Hollywood versions of what grief looks like 
so it looks like that last moment where you have this like incredibly important conversation with somebody on their deathbed it's suddenly having this moment at the graveside when you you know spill all of the things that you wish you'd said all this stuff that shit doesn't happen like me and my dad had really problematic relationships a lot of my life and it didn't get resolved you know like this thing this whole I, i get very angry about the hollywood thing because i feel like it it tries to tie up a very, very complicated, very long lasting trauma into this weird, neat little package. And then there's nothing else around the edges. So people seem to think that when the funeral's over and maybe within like a year, grief just doesn't really exist. Mm-hmm. And the offset of that for me is not just people stop talking to you. It's this, it's this feeling in your chest where you want desperately to talk to somebody about what you're feeling and you think it's going to piss them off. You think it's going to be annoying. You think you're going to drag the conversation down and you don't want to be that person. So even though every bit of you is desperate to say this awful thing happened, I feel so shit. I don't know what to do with all this emotion. You don't want to let it out because you're so worried that like society has told you that you're not supposed to and that like your friends might give you maybe half an hour to talk about it. But then you can kind of see them looking at their watch or like wanting the conversation to shift. And it's devastating. It's so devastating. And these emotions don't just disappear. They have to be processed. It it could take a really long time to process. And even now, I mean, it's been 11 years since my mum died. I still get really upset that she died. I still suddenly sit up and I'm like, shit, she, what, she died? Like, that's insane. How did that happen? Your brain takes a really, really long time, probably your lifetime, to understand the gravity. But you're also kind of not supposed to talk about it much. And I imagine it's exactly the same if you lose your vision, because it's a huge part of your life that has suddenly disappeared. And people are just like, oh, but that's your new normal. So you know, you must be fine, right? It's, you've sorted it. And you're mm-hmm. like, no, I will always grieve this. I will always be like sad that this happened to me. I will always have a residual trauma from it. But you're not really, yeah, you're not really kind of given the opportunity to talk about it as much as you want. And I think that's probably why I write about it so much because I'm allowed to write whatever I like, you know? Like I don't have to have somebody reciprocating in order to put it down on paper like I can just do it and then it gets to the audience who need it I hope anyway oh it absolutely does the point you made just there about when we're not allowed to talk about it even though it's like essentially bursting from us is how I felt I guess in losing my vision I didn't cry about the fact that I'd lost my sight and my life was now different until about four months down the line. I was never burdened with, you can't express how you feel. But I guess once people had gotten over the initial shock of, oh, she's now totally blind. It was like the conversation ended. They didn't know how to speak to me. I had high school friends that that crossed the road and walked past me. Um, I had friends that stopped inviting me out. I had friends that spoke about me and my sight loss and um, never bothered to call or text or, or drop into my house to ask how I was doing. And that was really surreal because these were the same people that that saw me as a kid in a wheelchair. These were the same people that encouraged me to go to like a blind college for my A-levels. So when my what would have been my inner circle just started drifting away, I found that more difficult to deal with than the physical loss of 
having no vision because I was surrounded by visually impaired and blind people that were striving and thriving after sight loss. So I knew I could do it, but it was the buildup and the emotional impact beforehand that I thought, Oh, how am I going to cope? But then when it happened, it was just like, Oh, okay, this is it. But there, there are times where I've found over the years now that I've been registered with clinical depression or situational depression because of it, there's, there's a trauma that I didn't realize I even had. And it was really difficult for me to realize that when I accidentally spilled a drink or when I accidentally threw my, <laughs> threw my food across the cooker when I was cooking, that I would then get so angry, like rage and filled anger that I couldn't express anything except that. And it was all because I hadn't truly accepted that this was my new normal. Where you're saying that people are like, it's okay that you're grieving, but then hmm, looking at my watch, you've had your 20 minutes, you've had your airtime. <laughs> it's difficult. It really can be. The rage thing. It's very interesting to hear that because what I found very interesting with, with the grief stuff was because I'd lost my mum, and I, I mean, I ignored my grief about my mum for years like literal years I went traveling was like it's fine and just pretended like it hadn't really happened and I didn't need to process and I just thought that time would process it for me like I could just be out of the loop and it would just happen without me looking at it um but when it really did start to hit me I was it was always crying it was always sadness it was always emptiness and then when I knew my dad was ill I very much assumed the same thing would happen again and I just I was really scared and annoyed by the fact that I'd have to go through all that again mm. and then when he died it was completely different and I had what you've just described I was furious all the time I was I mean it was boiling up I felt like I was on fire mm. and I don't know why it was so different it was really strange I wonder if it was because he was quite a volatile person so I kind of absorbed some of his personality into the group I don't know but mm. I think there's something there's something really there's something really interesting about how about how traumas manifest in your emotional reaction and i think again there is so much scope for your emotions to do stuff that they don't normally get to do because normally your life is on a relatively okay playing field right and then mm -hmm. when these massive things happen it's like you know those squeezy toys where um i think they're for, are they for kids but like when you squeeze like the all the stuff kind of comes out the holes oh yeah um, you know what I mean like the kind of plasticky stuff and it's one of those things where like you squeeze and you don't know which hole the trauma is going to come out of like you don't know what kind of emotion is going to happen mm -hmm. and, and it's really disconcerting because when it starts to happen you haven't processed what might happen and I'm losing my train of thought but I yeah I just I find it really interesting that that yeah for you it came out as as a hell of a lot of rage and anger it makes total sense you know like riling against something that you don't feel is fair but then also understanding that this is new and this is normal and it's going to be fine but then when there's people who turn as a result I think that that's completely out of your control and I think that's a lot harder because mm -hmm. you have the power to decide how you will respond to something yeah. you don't have any say in how someone else responds to your difficulty or your situation and I mean, it hurts a lot more because you don't get a say in it. And it's, yeah, I think the powerlessness I, thing is very difficult. Yeah, I, 
I actually think, weirdly enough, when I was speaking to my cancer on the phone, I was expressing mm. that that sorrow for what happened. And that was actually what made me start crying because I was like, these are my childhood friends. They grew up seeing me, a little scrawny ginger kid with an attitude, <laughs> um, then in a wheelchair, then out of a wheelchair, then losing her vision, but like still quote unquote sighted to the outside world because I refused to look blind, like I wouldn't use a cane or magnifiers if I could help it and all those other things until it got to the point where I, there was no way I was no longer being safe but I just thought that they were just gonna accept me the way they'd always always accepted me because I've always been different I've never been in their eyes like the able-bodied child I've always been different so mm. yeah to it was so hard because I was practicing my cane skills with my mum. And if my, it was my mum that told me, she was like, oh, she's like waving. And then she stopped dead. And then like mime to my mum, is she okay? And then crossed the road. Oh, man. And then my mum was the one that then mimed back, come back, come back. So she crossed back over and then was like, hey, how's it going? And it oh, was, it's difficult. yeah, it was horrendous to know that, again, because of my vision loss, I couldn't see any of this. I knew there was something, but I didn't know what. Mm. And I guess because my mum had given me the heads up that she, she was waving at first and like she could see her coming towards us, that then when she hadn't like in the split second, just boom, hey, how's it going? I knew something was going on. And we sat and talked about it afterwards. And the pain and sorrow I felt was just like, I know I'm different as in this is my new normal, but I'm not different. And that really hurt. And I think with, with her and a few other high school friends I had, I ended up kicking them to the curb after a few months to a year of me losing my sight. Cause I was like, if you couldn't have accepted me in the beginning, you don't deserve to have me in my life when I start to get better. Completely. I think, the one, well, there's, there are quite a few, but the, you know, the one, one of the silver linings about going through something horribly shit is, to coin a phrase from my mum, it's sorting out the wheat from the chaff. I love you that. Up, I know, it's so good. You end up finding people who are just so not worth your time. And exactly as you said, they do not deserve to have you in their life. Because, again, what's so ridiculous is the reason, I mean, with a very kind of hopeful attitude i would like to think the reason that people behave like that is simply because they don't know how to cope with different mm -hmm. and as a result they're just like it's easier if i just pretend i'm not here it's easier if i just pretend the issue isn't there i should just shy away mm -hmm. and i don't think it's necessarily out of spite or malice i think it's because they're nervous of doing something wrong or saying something wrong or behaving badly and of course the problem is that the exact thing that they've done is what makes you so upset. <laughs> I had the same stuff with people after mum died, but it was university students who were shit. So they didn't know what to do. They just were like, oh God, I'll run away from grief. That's scary. You know, and it's, it's pathetic really. But it's also, I mean, for that, I don't think it was their fault. For your friend, I think that sounds, ugh, it's very odd when they've been through other stuff with you mm -hmm. and been fine. And then suddenly there's something that changes it. And yeah. I don't really understand how that could happen, but. 
particularly when it was first all happening, I was like, do you really think I have time in my emotional state right now? Do you think I have the time to process why you find this difficult? Like, I am going through something very difficult here. I do not need to think about why you find it awkward. It's not fair. Fuck off. Like, (laughs) just, it was so frustrating. And I remember, like, a couple times being in the pub with people, because my dad was, um, my dad was dying for, like, I think about six, seven months. Mm -hmm. So I knew it was happening, and I kept having people, bless him, you know, but so, so not necessary. People being like, I'm sure he'll be fine. Maybe he'll get better. And it was like, can you please just read my lips? Like, he won't be fine. He is dying. He will die. I will do this again. It's going to be shit. I know this. Why can't you know it too? Why couldn't you just hear me? Mm-hmm. Um, but there were definite times in, I remember being in the pub with some people. Um, and they are friends, but people I don't, you know, I don't have kind of like close relationship with. Mm-hmm. And someone trying to ask me kind of just, you know, standard question in the pub. How are you? Like, how's everything going? And I just started unleashing because I was like, everything's awful. And I hate the fact that I'm supposed to just behave in that normal way. And you're like, oh yeah, it's all good. How are you? Like, because it's not, everything's absolutely awful. I'm about to watch my dad die. And then I have to deal with at least a year, if not longer, of really intense grief. I'll probably have a breakdown again. Like, and I didn't want to pertain to the kind of societal norm that I was expected to, but that's the problem. Like you are expected to, you're expected to just kind of brush off the massive problem you have under the carpet because obviously when someone asks you in the pub, how are you? They're not expecting like a half hour diatribe about why you're not okay. But why, like, why can't we do that? Why can't we have a half hour? Exactly. <laughs> Ridiculous. The weird one though was, I mean, I, I definitely had friends not wanting to tell me problems that they thought were small in comparison when when you're dealing with kind of the the passive element of of a grief it it does make it easier to handle someone else's stuff I think Mm -hmm. because I wasn't I mean I'd I'd already been through grief once before it was very different the first time to the second time but still I'd already you know I I knew the layout of what might be going you know what what might be in my future for the next year or so um and it meant that when friends came to me and, and didn't want to tell me that they'd had a breakup or that you know they had this really shitty situation with a landlord or something mm-hmm. and I I mean part of me did feel quite kind of you know cool and magnanimous because I could be like oh doesn't matter that I've been through hell like I want to help you with your problem you know and yeah. I felt very cool to be that person but also it I mean it was a good distraction for me mm-hmm. um and also I still I mean I really you know without trying to sound too pious and holier than thou I I do think that it doesn't really matter how big your trauma or grief is. If someone that you're talking to, the biggest thing for them has just happened, it's still the biggest thing for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so one of, I mean, obviously when it's really, you know, random and shit, it doesn't really matter. But when it's like, you know, really awful breakup, really, you know, someone's cheated on them really badly, something mm-hmm. like that. And then they would be like, oh, I don't want to bring this up because, you know, your dad died. And I'm like, yeah, but this is really shit for you, you know? So I think it's kind of, it's valid that you're going through something awful. And I do, I mean, I, I don't like the idea that there's kind of a hierarchy in, in grieving because it, it does happen. Like I have got pissed off when people have tried to compare. Oh yeah, you know, I know what you're going through because my granny died. <gasps> and I'm like, sorry, it's not the same. Unless yeah. your granny brought you up yeah. and you're, she's the only parent you had, like it's not the same. But then again, who am I to say how bad their, their grief is? It might feel like that for them. It might change when the next person dies, but like at the moment that might be the worst thing they've been through. And like, that's, mm-hmm. I guess that's valid. And I think, you know, they, they don't understand. 
and sometimes I'm glad that they don't because it's horrible and sometimes I'm really pissed that they don't because they think they get it and they don't get it and and it, it you feel very I mean obviously I'm obsessed with words and so I get very hung up on language and I get upset when people use language very casually mm-hmm. and I know why people do it. It's because there are, you know, there are so many, now more than ever, there are so many sound bites that people are so used to hearing. And I mean, I have a chapter about this in the book, but like yeah, yeah. grief language, <laughs> good old plug. But, you know, grief, grief language is a very, it's a very treacherous space because when you lose somebody, you do have a very, for me anyway, I had a very porous mind and some things that were said to me have stuck and they won't ever leave you know things that I heard when I was 20 when mum died Mm. are still just as vivid now because I was hearing them at a time when I was intensely vulnerable and there are very very casual things that people say without realizing how much that might hurt there's also very kind of stereotypical things people say and they think that's sufficient and it's Mm. just not and you're aching for something better and something more personal and something more meaningful and it doesn't come and that's it can be really really tough mm-hmm. and I think the reason we all kind of go to those very stereotypical phrases is just because that's what we think is supposed to be said and you see it on Facebook like you see when people when someone loses someone you suddenly see I'm so sorry for your loss it's like really? when do you ever say that in normal language that's yeah. not a phrase yeah. it's something that Victorians yeah. used to say sure but like we don't say it now exactly what you said earlier you should be like shit I'm so sorry that's absolutely awful what can I do mm-hmm. and that is so much more valid and validating than just being it's this weird kind of like hand on a prayer book you know yes. I'm terribly yeah. sorry for your loss sir you know like it's just so strange and it doesn't feel natural at all and it, it can be you get it's the first step of these weird barriers that start to come up between you and other people mm. because you've had this awful thing and they haven't and so they they distance themselves immediately and it starts with the language and and you don't want to be distant my god you don't want to be distant you want to be grabbed and hugged by all the people you don't want well maybe not but (laughs) you do want connection you don't want distance and and I think it's um it needs to be talked about more I think Mm -hmm. that's the that's the main thing just because you've gone through something shit doesn't mean that you don't want to have anybody connect to you Mm -hmm. I find it really powerful when you said in the book that everyone kept coming up to you after your mum's death saying how strong you were and you felt like, well, I'm not, I'm not strong. This has just happened. I've, I haven't dealt with it sort of thing. Mum was running away, but with your dad, like no one said that to you and you actually wanted someone to tell you how strong you were being because you were, you were his carer. You were looking after him through his, his death and going like his demise going downhill and you were constant, everything was constantly changing. So as you said a minute ago, as soon as you got used to something, something else would change. So you were constantly juggling and on this spinning wheel that never stopped. I think what I've started noticing, particularly because now I get a lot of um, messages from people, which I love and I'm really grateful for it. I'm just starting to realise that I need to put a caveat when I get those messages and say, just so you know, I may also be going through a bit of tough period and so I might not respond straight away. Um, but what I started to notice that I naturally started doing when I got these messages from people was instead of just saying like, maybe more on comments and stuff because they're more public and you, you make the responses smaller. 
mm-hmm. instead of just saying like I'm so sorry that that happened I keep doing are you doing okay how are you doing mm. because often I tended to find that I needed an invitation from somebody to to I mean unless it was my as we've said before my inner circle of people who I just you know shout my grief at to constantly they are absolute champions they have gone through a decade and two deaths of me talking about grief um but aside from them yeah I definitely find that I needed permission from somebody like I needed somebody to say how are you doing with all of this Mm -hmm. for me to be like okay they're okay for me to talk about it okay let's go and then I'd open it up and I'd start saying it and I know that a lot of people definitely would have been okay with me talking but I didn't want to I didn't even know what it was it wasn't like I didn't want to piss them off I just didn't want to take up so much of their time in a really sad way you know and you don't want to be known as the person who's always talking about that really sad thing because then yeah you might not get invited to things anymore I don't know so yeah just being able to like have having somebody to having somebody ask you having somebody invite you to talk about what's going on mm-hmm. is a really, really valuable thing and I think yeah hearing a statement like I'm so sorry if you're lost doesn't do that it's just a kind of blanket statement and that's it and you kind of do need this if you want to talk to me I'm here mm. but right now if you want to talk to me I'm here like do it <laughs> say things tell me how you're feeling maybe that's a bit pushy but <laughs> no I I agree with that because I think thinking back to the the few times it's been like a, a high school friend that maybe has lost their parent or a sibling or something and it's been on social media I might say oh my gosh I'm sorry for your loss but my inbox is open if there's anything I can do if you want to chat yeah. here's my number so I, I do make it very specific that this isn't a blanket statement but I'm also very aware that I guess when it's when when you're so far removed and you're just like a, a high school person that you knew once you maybe shared classes together they aren't likely to pick up the phone to you so yeah. it's I think that's that's the weird territory we're in is that if you were to pick up the phone to me and say I'm having a really tough time I just want to spill my guts about the shit the shittiness I feel I'd happily speak to you for hours but I think because it's if you've not opened up to that person before you there's this weird dynamic where people don't want to ask because they don't want it to be like you're actually having a nice day today um Mm -hmm. am I just going to open your floodgates and make you feel 10 times worse and then it's the thing on your shoulders of as you've already um explained beautifully that people then are like so cautious it's more like pat you on the the arm sorry for your loss uh yeah uh what's for dinner exactly and I think actually yeah no you're you're really right it's a very it's a very delicate one because I definitely had friends I mean again you know when mom died I didn't get much of this and then when dad died so many people knew that I talked about grief a lot that I had this from a lot of people and it was really appreciated but yeah I still didn't take them up on it I took up I had conversations like regular constant crying terrifying conversations with about seven people Mm -hmm. because they're my closest people you know and I and I had friends who I love and who are great message me going if ever you need to talk I'm here and I'd be like that's so lovely I'm never going to do that because <laughs> you're not, you're not my person like you're not I mean I've been watching Grey's Anatomy again I love whole, Grey's Anatomy <laughs> good but the whole Christina Meredith like you're my person thing is so relevant because it you do need your people there are the people and 
I think, again, something that I, I hate having to explain about losing your parents, but it's so, so necessary. You lose the people who will always support you and will always be there for you. Even if you're being an absolute nightmare, even if you're being a total dick, they will always be there and they will always give you the time of day. And losing that took me a long time to realize how big that was, like how much of a, of a loss that was. Like it, it, it shattered me. It absolutely shattered me because my mum, as you know, many mums do, my mum was a constant cheerleader of everything I did. Like when I was doing like ballet exams and like piano exams, she'd send good luck, eat like good luck letters in the post, like through the legitimate post. So they'd arrive at my, at my house. And like, I mean, she was insane. She was so supportive. And, and now I don't have that. Mm. I don't have anybody who, will absolutely 100% like certainty always put me first for anything I do that's gone and unless I marry somebody who's just as supportive as my mum or I yeah I mean that's probably the only option um I don't necessarily get that again and I've had to deal with that I've had to deal with the fact that like my friends are incredibly supportive but they're not gonna be supportive in the way that she was and it's a big loss so having your inner circle of people who are like the next best thing Mm -hmm. is so so necessary it's crucial and it's then really really scary to to potentially tap a new person for that kind of support and not know if you'll get it or not so it's actually easier to just stick to the same people because you know that they've been doing it already so it's a horrible vicious circle like you only get that support if you already know you're going to get that support mm -hmm. like I wouldn't ask a friend who's like a friend but not a close friend Mm -hmm. because what if they say no what if they're not there for me that time what if I need support that moment and they're like oh I'm really sorry but I have to go away <sighs> it's more devastating because I know that they're like failing at the thing I need and it's just yeah it's too much so yeah I don't know it's like ripping ripping open a, a, a raw wound again because if you have you know you go you reach out and then they're like yes sorry I, I can't that's it's probably like, I'm guessing, grief washing over you all over again and having that barrage of everything you've ever felt through grief and the process of it because they said they could be there for you and they weren't. And but it's not right now. <laughs> yeah, it's that, that vulnerability. I believe truly in vulnerability. And I think that's where I do wear my heart on my sleeve. My mum, especially, she's always been very open. And I don't know many families who are like this, but we've talked about like the intricacies of death and dying and what she'd want at her funeral and her wake and her service and all those things to the point where, although I've never had to go through that yet, I feel like I'm already prepared because so many people, whether it's, you know, with this, the thing with your mom, it happened so very quickly in the space of a few weeks. And then with your dad over months and months and months, whether or not you had time or didn't have time to prepare, having, knowing and understanding someone's wishes for the end of their life is, is something that we don't talk about again in the Western, Western world and the Western culture. And I think it needs to be talked about because otherwise you're ladening the burden without meaning to on the person that's left behind. And I think that's why your book is so very special and poignant because 
you're weaving your own story of grief and how you've coped with it and the times where you haven't coped with it and you've unpacked it but then you've given like a a proper list of these are all the things that i did this is what you have to tackle all the things like the kind of quite strategic business like okay this has to happen then this has to happen then this has to happen and i think that's why your book is so powerful because it's not one or the other it's interwoven between the two and you're getting practical advice as well as a friend at the end knowing that they really truly understand what you've been through that's really good to hear i'm really glad that that came across <laughs> um i think yeah i I hope that the the chapters that I wrote about the practical side of grieving is 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 helpful for people because it is terrifying. It really is. I'm so glad that you've had that conversation with your mum because I mean it's so valuable. It's it's devastating when you realise how little you know about that part of someone's like wants and needs. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't. It, I mean, it never felt important. It never felt that. It never felt necessary mm-hmm. until my dad died and suddenly I was like, you know, I knew what his music tastes were. Like I knew what he liked, mm-hmm. but why didn't I know what flowers should be on the, on the coffin? And why didn't I know precisely which readings he'd want? You know, he was a theater director. He loved theater. I'm sitting in a study that is filled to the brim with scripts. Mm-hmm. And I still found it really hard to choose what I was supposed to read. And, and you suddenly feel like you're not going to give, it's a very emotional, period it's a very overwhelming period and you're then also expected to I mean yeah I had to arrange a funeral for somebody I had no idea of the first steps to do that and I didn't want to do it also like I was terrified of doing it um and then you have to make all these weird logistical decisions which are very very odd and and it doesn't feel it feels incredibly surreal to do it all and you want to do it right but then you don't know exactly what they wanted I spent ages um searching for my mum's funeral program to mm-hmm. see what hymns we'd sung because I figured we should just use the same ones because dad obviously liked them because he chose them for her funeral and I couldn't find it so I just had to choose some that like I had a few pieces of music in my head that I knew should be played and I couldn't remember what they were called like it was that whole kind of issue it was just yeah it's very frustrating so I think having those conversations is really valuable but I get why people don't do it because mm. it's really scary to talk about it and often as well like the the person who you're discussing is sometimes quite likely to be you know it feels too real to talk about their own death and their own funeral so they're just like oh no don't be silly like you'll know what to do yeah which is a very easy thing to say and spoiler it is not it is not easy at all <laughs> it's horrible I I don't appreciate people's like being people being flippant about it because I think the crux of life is death and that is a really sore thing to contend with but we are all going to die some people die horribly young and well before their time Mm. and and then other people do live into ripe old age and have a very happy long life but if you are i feel like if you don't know what someone's wishes are um, after they've gone and what they might want from a service and things, that's extra burden on the person left behind when they're already grieving. And then, as you said, you're having to plan a funeral and the logistics. Like, 
I know why, but why does it have to happen so quickly? Like people don't have time to grieve. And then as you said in your book, you feel like, okay, once the funeral's done, then, then that's it. But it's not, that's just the beginning. Mm. Upsettingly though, I, I, I do, like I see exactly where you're coming from, but also having the funeral happen quite quickly is quite a good thing because weirdly the actual death bit your brain can't really comprehend it but when there's been a funeral it kind of gives concrete evidence like i have often treated my brain as a very small child in this whole process and you have to kind of literally just kind of guide your brain to looking at the funeral being like see see what happened this did happen yeah. This is a legitimate thing that has happened now because we know what funerals are. Yeah. This means a dead thing. This, this is a death. We know this. Mm-hmm. And as opposed to all the strange ways that somebody could die and whether you see them or not, like I wasn't there for my dad's death. I was there for my mum's, mm-hmm. but I wasn't there for my dad's. And, and yeah, it didn't really feel real because I, you know, just got a phone call to tell me and a funeral does it in a way that, maybe a deathbed doesn't um Mm. it puts a finality down and i think it convinces lots of your lots of your head to be like oh this is real okay now now what do we do it's i mean it's horrible either way but i I do think having it happen is is a like relatively soon is is a good thing Mm. but but it's not fair in terms of the emotional burden because you're not yeah you're not emotionally ready for it and yeah for some people it can be helpful like doing doing all the all the logical um processing is quite good because it it gives you actionable things to do yeah um I had I mean yeah I've again <laughs> written in the book the whole chapter with this name because I had this like blue notebook that I had written everything down in yeah. and my dad was very pragmatic so we had started listing stuff when he knew he was terminal we'd, we'd started making lists of of his bank information and um who his solicitor was and like all the logins for for online things um, which was incredibly helpful and I highly recommend people do this because again if I hadn't known all that information it just would have made it a lot harder yeah. but I then was able to you know have a have a checklist of all the things I had to do you know find a funeral director choose a date what dates could I choose where is the church what church um, you know what church is free where's the crematorium where's the wake going to be held who am I supposed to invite who's going to tell people um to invite other people because I didn't want to make all the phone calls so I had like you know those tree call trees you used to have at primary school where like one parent would then call 10 parents and then each of them would call 10 parents (laughs) yeah and I I I tried to set one of those up it didn't really work but I had like four or five people who who phoned all of dad's friends instead so I didn't have to do it um but yeah like having all those lists was a really good distraction Mm. because it gave me yeah things I could just tick off and I didn't have to think about the enormity of what had actually happened <laughs> Which... yeah do you think that's maybe because that's part of a view you're, you're very pragmatic when my dad's dad died we we knew that he he was very ill um but his death was very sudden and so um, my mum said look he could pass away at any moment because he's so very unwell you need to sit down and have this conversation with him because my my nan sadly 
was that she she was his carer but also his wife and she didn't want to deal with all that side of it so it was my dad that had to sit down with his father and it, uh, like talk through everything but I I feel like although it was hard my dad took a took over a lot of the logistical side to a take I, I feel the the kind of burden of my nan but my dad's job he is logistical like he is head of like logistics as part of his job so I felt like he he zoned in on that because helped keep him on the straight and narrow because it was practical he could focus Mm -hmm. and tick things off where if people aren't that way inclined and they're not the kind of organized person that likes to to make lists and tick off lists would you say that that may even be 10 times worse and more overwhelming because it's the first time they've had to like face something like that? Or do you feel that it's, I guess, because it's something you just have to get on with, people just, just kind of go into autopilot and just deal with it and then the grief probably comes afterwards? I mean, I can ultimately only speak to my own experience and hilariously until you've just pointed it out i have constantly been saying my dad is a, was a very pragmatic person chances are i have got that from him because i love lists so much i tick lists off all the time i write things on lists just so i can tick them off like it yeah. is a very satisfying activity yeah. um and i'm sure i have that from him so thank you for reminding me of that yeah it can it can probably go both ways i think if you are a very logistically minded person that's hilarious that your dad is literally head of logistics um if you yeah if you're a very logistically minded person then it's yeah it's right in your wheelhouse if you're completely the opposite it's probably a really overwhelming list that you have to go through um and in which case i would probably i mean i think friends did suggest this i think my boyfriend at the time would have if i hadn't wanted to do it myself um, I think nominating other people to do stuff for you is a really good way of doing it because again there are so many friends or hopefully you've got people around you who are asking you know what can I do if you actually have a definable list of things and be like okay can you please phone these three funeral directors and get quotes for coffins please mm-hmm. that would be helpful yeah. you know because that kind of stuff you don't want to do I think what's also really difficult is obviously yes all this stuff is very logistical but it's laced with a hell of a lot of emotion Mm. So all of these, all of the things that you're doing, they are to do with the fact that someone you love died. And that sucks because you want it to be a purely kind of, oh, this is, you know, just an academic decision. I'm just making these like things to do with money, things to do with dates, things to do with bank closing. But actually, you know, it's a really emotional thing. And so if there are kind of trigger points that you think are going to be upsetting or you just can't handle doing it, then I think getting someone else, roping someone else in is really helpful. Most of it can be done by somebody else as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the only mm-hmm. things that had to be me were um, closing his bank accounts because I had to change all the direct debits into my accounts and I had to um, yeah shift the money that was left in them and stuff mm-hmm. and that was a thing but but yeah I think it's it's difficult particularly because I mean the tiniest thing can overwhelm you as well mm-hmm. so one day you'll wake up and you'll feel okay to do five or six things on the list and other days you wake up and the idea of showering is terrifying. So, mm-hmm. you know, like, which again, very similar to depression. You, you just get in a state where nothing, absolutely nothing can lift you out of it. And you just can't, the, the idea of anything in the world happening is just not, it's not, <laughs> it's not a possibility. 
Um, and in that case, yeah, that list can be redaunting. I have actually thought about turning that list into like a PDF because I want it to be something people could print out and use. Um, so well, I, I think that, that would be a fabulous idea. I, I really mm, do. I yeah. think from from the sense of if, if people, you know, ticking off the list, so then they're not like defacing the book, but also it's just a practical thing. Like, I think that's why, honestly, it's why I think the book is so bloody fantastic because there I don't I haven't read much about grief I'm more I read like memoirs and things like that I, but the things that I've read are either people's stories or like practical advice maybe from like a counselor or something and the yeah. fact that they're interwoven you're you're giving people I feel like you are quite literally like holding their hand through this journey and you're saying that you can feel whatever you want to feel but but this this little book is is almost like your your bible because you've got a friend that understands everything that you're going through but you've also got the the tick list and you've got the checklist and then you've got all the things that would have overwhelmed or can overwhelm and probably did at points overwhelm you that it's like now it's all written down you can just keep coming back to it if you need to mm. I think, yeah, you just summed up the book beautifully. There's a lot of, um, I, I think I just, I, I was really hoping that it, that I could turn it into something that spanned a lot of different aspects of what I needed at the time. And that was a personal experience, but also a hell of a lot of just, yeah, checklisting a lot of information that I needed, but not written down in a kind of preachy way. Because mm. I think a lot of the stuff I've read on grief has been, I mean, totally understandable and totally valid has been written by um, therapists, psychologists, doctors, um, and they're coming at it from a personal experience often because they've gone through a loss as well, but they're still coming. They're still using like the clinical side, like the, mm -hmm. the, the whys and the wherefores and stuff. And for me, I was like, I don't really, I don't really need it. I just need to know that someone else has had the same shit experience that I have, but they were okay eventually. Like they've managed to get somewhere. Okay. But I think one of the one of the really harder the much harder parts about dealing with it all was having people not kind of what's the word not glossing over but being kind of almost too bright too hopeful people mm -hmm. kind of saying like it'll be fine and you're like no no I I get that it might be fine it probably will be fine but now it's really not and so I really need the help now yeah I need you to walk through why it's shit now and don't try and take it away from me. Just try and spread it out a little bit so it's not quite as overwhelming. But, you know, there's no getting away from the fact that it feels shit now. Um, and, yeah, holding someone's hand through it, I think is, yeah. I, I think a couple of Amazon reviews have said that. So that's oh, a really okay. nice. So, <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's a really nice. It's nice that other people have had the same reaction to it. Because mm -hmm. um, that's what I would have liked. I would have yeah. felt a lot better if I had that kind of support. Mm. Yeah, you, you, you say that in the book as well. And I think, I think it's one of those things. It's if a lot of um, creativity comes from someone who's been through something and then wish they had that, that level of support or appreciation or understanding, and then they create it in order to help other people so they don't have to go through that. And mm. I, I think it, yeah, I, I, I'd, I don't want to sound patronizing, but I think you should really be proud of yourself for creating something that I hope and I, I do believe that will 
help many hundreds of thousands of people because it it's not it's not oh this is my journey um look at me it is the intricacies of everything that you've gone through and people don't don't understand and don't appreciate the complexities of of grief anyway let alone being able to create an entire memoir and practical advice piece of art that helps other people go through that that's a lovely testament thank you <laughs> i think um that too as well you know i one of the cards that a friend sent me um i think when dad was still dying i think it hadn't even happened yet but it was the tiniest little card just a little white card with i'm so proud of you written on it and it still makes me cry because it was just such an incredible support to have um and I think it's something people don't necessarily, as we were saying, you know, language and, and that bloody, you're so strong thing. Mm. That's kind of, I don't know why it's so important to see a nuance in that, but being told you're strong for something that you don't have a choice in mm. is, it doesn't really mean anything to me. Yeah. Even though, as you said, I, I did want it more from, you know, when I was going through dad's, dad's death, but that was because I needed more kind of reminding of the strength that I could have, I guess. Yeah. Whereas having that card from my friend saying, I'm proud of you, it just filled me up in a way that, that the strength thing didn't because knowing that somebody was, it felt like I'd been seen and it felt like I'd been, like someone had recognized the enormity of what was happening. Yeah. And, and yeah, I think maybe we don't say that enough to people. I, I try and say it to friends more now um, because I think it's, Maybe it's just something that hasn't been as prevalent in my relationships with people. Like that isn't a phrase that gets said as much as I now realise it should be. Um, mm. And it is an important one. You know, you're going through something really tough. It's not just, you can do it. It's more like, I am so proud of what you are doing. Like mm. how you are doing is something worth enough for me yeah. to say that I'm proud of you. And it's lovely. I do feel very proud of myself. I'm very, I'm very glad that I've been able to turn a really really shit thing into something that can maybe help other people going through a shit thing mm -hmm. <laughs> ultimately yeah and that that takes very I I do believe it takes a very particular individual because most people that go through something traumatic and rightly so they 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 carry they carry the weight of it on them and sometimes they will never feel free um to express themselves with certain people or whatnot but even if they have the support of friends and family and counselors it feels like there's this this forever weight that they will never shift and i don't think you will ever shift grief and i don't think it should be something that should be shifted because at the end of the day it's part of of living that if you can't express grief even 10, 15, 100 years down the line, then you're almost saying that it doesn't matter. And I don't agree with that whatsoever. But it takes a very, very particular individual to have the strength for a once of a better word to do what you've done. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you, you see your own strength and that you are proud of yourself because most people 
would just kind of pass that off and be like, no, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I think if I'd, if I'd written something not about grief, I would be a lot more self-effacing and oh no, 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 no. It's just, just a thing that I did. It's nothing, not a big deal. No, fuck that. This is a fucking huge deal. I am so proud because it, has been really hard it's been really tough it's also been 10 years and a lot of tears in the making so I think it's um it's also interesting because a lot of lockdown I mean I, I don't know if we left this in the recording but I I said earlier that I've been talking to my plants a lot um <laughs> which has made me feel less like I'm in isolation but and you know this might sound odd to people who haven't necessarily had losses like this but it's taken me a long time, but I um I don't really feel like my parents are gone in the way that I used to because I do talk to them a lot and I know I mean I know it's fanciful and I know a lot of it is just kind of my own trickery, but it does make me feel a lot better because the the turning point for me after my dad died, like the year that I had was hell, utter hell. Um and at his first anniversary, which was also his birthday, because he was very theatrical, died on his birthday. Um, I was seeing a therapist who pretty much turned everything around for me. And one of the things we were talking about was um, how much I missed hearing my mom's voice and how desperately I wanted to kind of just be able to hear her again. And and this therapist was like, well, I mean, you can. Like, you know, you spent 20 years hearing her talk to you you know the kind of stuff she'd say you just got to kind of tap into it again mm-hmm. and I really hadn't tapped into it before and she had lost her brother as well and and that had been a devastating loss for her um my therapist not my mom actually my mom did lose her brother anyway um yeah my uh, yeah my therapist had had lost her brother and a large processing tool for her was just imagining what he'd say to things and it was either speaking out loud or it was um, in her head but either way she spoke to him and she knew what he'd say back and I felt ridiculous doing it to start with and then it just started to become a, not, a lot more natural and now yeah like you, you spend 20 years talking to somebody when they're alive mm-hmm. it kind of just makes total sense that you would know what they would say and yeah. it's very very helpful for me because it means that I yeah I do feel them closer I very much feel like I know what they're saying to me and I know how they'd respond to things. And it feels like I've still got support from them as a result. Yeah. And I know they'd be very, very proud of what I was doing. I think my dad would find it weird. My mum would be crowing. She'd be shouting from the rooftop. She'd be running out in the street going, my daughter wrote a book. She'd be very happy. I, I can see that. And do you know what? The way you write is, I feel like I've met your mother because of the way you write that I'm, I can imagine that like the fact that she'd she'd knock on the neighbors doors and be like did you know that Flora wrote this really fantastic book <laughs> like I could just see that and she'd oh she would have thrown you a party and a fanfare and everything. she would have gone mental yeah she would have posted me all of the letters through all of the post boxes it would have been <laughs> it would have been a party it would have been a dramatic situation most definitely it's also yeah that's also really really lovely to to know that you can kind of get a sense of her because that's important she was a ledge she's an absolutely amazing woman she deserves to be in books <laughs> i'll have to write more do you have any words of advice for people that that might be grieving right now whether it is through the loss of a parent or just going through something quite traumatic first of all i'm really sorry 
and I really hope that however bad you're feeling you've got to remember that it will change and I know that sounds very annoying and you don't believe it but it will it does change it doesn't necessarily go but it changes shape so much that it does feel completely different um the thing about grieving is it does feel enormous it does feel overwhelming and it does feel like it's going to overtake you but you start to see the edges of it and you start to understand it and again it sounds horribly cliched but I wouldn't say I started becoming friends with my grief or anything but I, I definitely started to identify what it was and how I could kind of how I could live alongside it and that does take time and that's really infuriating because you don't want it to take time you want it to be over you want it to be out of your life but as long as you take it minute by minute and you just not necessarily let it do what it wants because it can wreak havoc and that can be really scary but don't try and shy away from it too much because at the risk of sounding yeah very very saccharine very hallmark the reason that you're grieving is because you really love somebody and grief can essentially mirror how much that person meant to you and I think when you start to kind of have grief and love as a kind of mirroring you do start to understand it better and and it does change and it does get easier and you'll be all right thanks so much for listening to this episode of purple elephant what it's like to grieve the loss of both parents with me your host sassy wyatt and today's guest flora baker I really hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as I have. It's a very deep conversation, but I think it's definitely one that needs to be had. Please go and check out Flora on social media in the show notes below and also buy her book, The Adult Orphan Club. If you like this episode, please give us a following and a rating on Apple Podcasts. And thanks once again for being a great human being.